The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. The people were filled with expectation, and all were asking in their hearts whether John might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I am baptizing you with water, but one mightier than I is coming. I am not worthy to loosen the thongs of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. After all the people had been baptized, and Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Merry Christmas. Christmas. Sounds a little strange to hear that, doesn't it? And yet today is still the Christmas season in the Catholic tradition. It's the last day of the Christmas season, but in the church, it is still very much Christmas. And note how quickly the world, which spent so much time getting ready for Christmas, has already set it aside. To the extent that it seems strange to our ears, our Catholic ears, to hear those words, Merry Christmas. Because we live in a world that even as it pretends to be excited about Christmas, as it does with so many other things it pretends to be excited about, it uses them briefly and sets them aside without ever lingering, without ever encountering its fullness. And so it is that here we are on the ninth day of January, still at Christmas. And we do this because there is more here to understand than a mere 24-hour day can contain within it. And so over these weeks, the mystery of the Lord's birth among us has been unpacked in stages. First, there is the event in Bethlehem itself, where the Lord is laid in a manger and wrapped in swaddling clothes. Then last weekend, we celebrated the appearance of that great star in the sky which heralded his birth, that star which called into the foreign nations and stirred the hearts of the Magi to undertake their journey to see and meet that king. And now today, we gaze upon this same Jesus Christ not as a baby, not as a child, but every bit a son. The adult Jesus, approaching the waters of the Jordan River to be baptized. Because this also now says something to us about how the Lord shows his 
face to us in the great mystery that we celebrate over this season. And as we sang at the beginning of Mass, the drumbeat of the Christmas season for the church has always been that simple phrase, O come, let us adore him. And to adore requires time. To adore requires focused attention. To adore requires sitting still and lingering in the presence of someone who is not us. O come, let us adore. That is what the shepherds do. That is what Our Lady does as she gazes upon the face of her son for the first time. Note the church doesn't sing, come let us serve him. It doesn't say, come let us go forth and preach. All of that comes later. And it springs from coming to meet him, to know him, to gaze upon him. That's why last weekend we heard in the story of the three kings that when they entered the place where he was and they found the child with his mother, before they gave him the gifts that they brought for him, they prostrated themselves. They made themselves low and they worshipped him. That is the fundamental disposition of the Christmas season. And there's much about that that we have taking place in the mystery that is before us today. This great, unspeakably beautiful mystery of the baptism of the Lord. And, you know, let's be honest. If I asked you what your favorite aspect about Christmas is, I am betting that pretty much 100% of you are not going to say, Father, I really like that bit about being Jesus being baptized. It's an important mystery, it is a great mystery, but it is not one we have grown up paying much attention to. And that's a shame. Because we have here in this mystery, this beautiful mystery which involves, as we heard in the psalm, the voice of the Lord shouting out over the water the voice of the Lord who is enthroned above the flood, above the waters, speaking outward to his people, a word of power, a word of forcefulness. And that is what we see coming to pass in this mystery. Note how beautiful it is. We hear that John has been baptizing in the Jordan River. And why in the Jordan River? Because that is the body of water over which the people of God passed to enter into the Promised Land. And so note what the Baptist does. He plants himself at that very spot 
where Israel of old left the wasteland and entered the promised land. And at that spot, he called those who had been living in the promised land, but whose behavior had reduced it to a spiritual wasteland, come here again to these waters. Not to pass through from an earthly desert into a physically green land, but to pass out of that spiritual desert in which you have been living to that great land to which the Lord would call you, a land green and blooming with the fullness of grace and goodness. Come here. And so the people came, and they expressed their desire to be transformed, to leave that wasteland of selfishness, of fearfulness, of indifference and blind ambition. And they stepped into the water as a sign that they desired entry into that moment of grace, which the Baptist had come to announce. And note his announcement. You've come to me to be baptized because there's somebody coming after me who is greater than me. And to meet him and to know him, we begin here with this movement at the water. And beautifully, within this movement of a people longing to leave that spiritual and moral desert that sin had left in their hearts, somebody stands with them. Note how beautiful this is. The Lord who came to Bethlehem to be numbered among the children of the world, even though he is son of God, steps now forward from the side of the sinner, seeking to change. Notice that Jesus doesn't come from the other side of the river. He comes with that great movement of people, longing, longing for their hearts to be made new, and stepping out from among them, he who is sinless, steps into the river to which sinners are called. He who is holy steps forward into the waters where those who are thirsting for grace and goodness have come. He who is the word of God steps into the water where the one who is the voice crying out in the wilderness has been proclaiming and working. He who is the king steps forward to be baptized by his servant. Look how remarkable this is. How beautiful this is. And what does the Lord do in doing this? He doesn't say that I need to be forgiven because he is holy. He is sinless. He is the mercy of God made flesh for us. 
But what he says is the cry of your heart is now the cry of mine. Your prayer to be made right with the Lord is my prayer too. And your prayer can rise now on the wings of mine. Your heart can cry out to heaven with the strength of mine. And I will cry out to heaven on your behalf. I who have come to set you free. How beautiful this is. And so the Lord comes forward and he steps into that river. And he steps into that river not to bring us to an earthly promised land, but to bring the promise of grace into the hearts of those of us who live on this earth. That the heart, your heart, and my heart can be in a certain way a promised land of its own. What a remarkable gift this is. And so it is. Note how beautiful this is. The Lord, after he is baptized, what do we see? We see the Holy Spirit coming down on him like a dove. And then there's that voice. The voice that speaks out not over some other waters, but over these waters where Jesus Christ stands, saying, this is my son. And here, for the very first time in the history of the universe, the Holy Trinity is revealed publicly. Until this moment, the mystery of the Trinity was hidden, and the only one who truly knew it was Our Lady, who in the Annunciation was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, was called by the Father, and bore the Son. But she's the only one who had experienced the Trinity so directly until this moment. And now for the very first time, that secret that 30 years earlier was revealed to Mary is publicly revealed to the world. God is one and three. Father, Son, and Spirit. This is the first time the eyes of man the first time the eyes and ears of the people of God are given to know this. And how does it happen? Through Jesus Christ, and only through Jesus Christ. And note what that says. To truly know who God is, one must know Jesus. Full knowledge of God. True, deeply intimate knowledge of God is only possible when one knows who Jesus Christ is. Why do we know God as Father, Son, and Spirit? Because Jesus is now revealed by the Father as his Son. And because the Spirit comes upon him. Jesus is that one 
through whom, in whom, and by whom Almighty God reveals himself in his fullness. And if we are to reveal ourselves in our fullness, we normally do that by saying something, don't we? And so God here reveals him as his word, the word who was made flesh for us. And it is only right that it happened here at the Jordan River, because at the very beginning of time, when God began to create all things, what does Scripture say? The earth was formless and void. It was a wasteland. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And from God came a word. And the word was, let there be light. And light stood forth. And by that word, spoken first over those waters, in the movement of that spirit, all things are made. And where are we today? But that word, standing in the waters, and the spirit coming over him, and the father again speaking from heaven about his son. Because this is the moment when all things will be made new. The Lord now announces to the world, my word is not a written thing, but rather that word, my word, by whom all things were made, stands before you this day, my son. And the command of God is clear then. To know the will of God, to know the mind of God, to know the ways of God, to experience the working of God. One must know, meet, and experience his word. And that word has a name. And his name is Jesus Christ. Note how beautiful this is. The silent word who pleads for us from the manger, as we hear in the famous Christmas carol, is now that one who will go forth from this point to speak and to heal and to save. Until that day when this word expresses the love of God in that exquisitely beautiful way of stretching out his arms to our woundedness on the cross. And he who stood by sinners in the Jordan will bear the woundedness of a sinful world as his own woundedness, that he might heal it and restore it. And all through the scriptures, the great cry from the heart of Israel sounded time and time again is this, Lord, open the heavens and come down and save us. Open the heavens and come down. And notice what the Holy Spirit says through St. Luke in our gospel today. And the heavens were opened. On this day we see heaven which had been closed 
finally is now open. And the Lord indeed has come down. And he has come down to go forth and to save us. This is my son, my beloved, the one on whom my favor rests. Implied? Listen to him. Listen to him. But note that before we can listen to him, before we can follow him, we must learn to see him and to recognize him. That is the point of the adoration of the Christmas season, to gaze upon the face of the mercy of God in the face of Jesus and to know that face, to gaze upon Jesus in these mysteries and to know him in these mysteries, not as we want to know him, not as we think we need to know him. That's us getting in the way but to let the Lord show himself to us. And that requires time. And that requires patience. But it is so very important. Because the simple fact of the matter is we Catholics throw the word adoration around recklessly. And all too many of us use that word and describe ourselves as adorers, and it's not what we do. We spend our time gazing on the face of our insecurities, and then we listen to them. We spend our time gazing on the face of our anger and our resentment, and we listen to it and we follow it, don't we? We spend our time gazing on everything that is wrong in the world and everything that worries us and frightens us, and we listen to it we end up adoring false gods. We end up adoring that which is destructive to us. And so in this mystery, we are reminded one more time, before Jesus begins his preaching, before Jesus begins to work his miracles, we are reminded, see him, know him. Appreciate him in his coming to you. Understand him and see who he is so that you can truly hear him, truly listen to him, truly follow him. Because the Lord says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And because they know me, they respond to my voice. As we leave the Christmas season after today, this is the call the church leaves us with. Have I sat with him? And if not, can I sit now? I don't need to work very hard, but putting a little time in to gaze on him in the mystery, to surrender to the way he comes to me and to come to know him in that way, so that then I know his voice and can hear him. And how beautiful it is that at this Mass, in just a short time, 
Father Pete will hold in his hands the consecrated host and the chalice, and he will show them to you. And think of that great voice over the waters. This is my son, my beloved. Because what's going to happen at Mass is as he holds up the body and blood of Christ, the presence, the person of Christ, before your eyes and mine, he's going to say, behold, see, know, recognize him. Not in some other way, but in this beautifully humble way that he has come to you. Behold the Lamb of God. And it's in beholding him, in seeing him, that our hearts are stirred to say, I am not worthy, but say the word. Let me hear the word, Lord, that I might be healed. And then we, we, who on this day are very much like that assemblage of Israel, coming to say, Lord, I long not to live in the wasteland that sin leaves in my heart, but I long for that promised land of your grace and goodness. Please come to me. And that is the beautiful mystery that happens when you hear those words, the body of Christ, and you stretch out your hand, and you say, Amen. O come indeed. O come, let us adore him. Amen.